invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Those of you new to the faith or the scriptures, you want to go to the back of the book, you'll find those four big Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talking about Jesus. And we are in a vital series this uh, summer, which talks about the Holy Spirit. And today we're returning to Jesus' own teaching about the Holy Spirit. And more specifically, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit connects with prayer and how we walk with God in that prayer. And so believing that God has spoken his word, his inspired and errant word, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11. Here's what Luke tells us about Jesus. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves but forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Speak to us, speak to us right now, and help us to see with eyes to see and ears to hear. And speak to the speaker, he needs you. He needs your spirit, especially right now. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So here's a question I want us to wrestle with today, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. Does prayer make a difference? Does prayer make a difference? Uh, all followers of Jesus want to pray, and though sometimes we can admit it's frustrating in its effect, even folks who don't necessarily follow Jesus throw up prayers to an unknown God with hopes that something would change in life or when life feels like it's too much. Prayer is an impulse that all of us have to some degree but we also have to admit it can be a bit of a disappointment at times. Now, there was a man who was known for prayer in the historic church, a man who loved the hurting 
and who knew experientially that prayer makes a difference. His name was George Mueller. Now, Mueller was a 19th century evangelist, best known for establishing schools and orphanages that took in over 10,000 kids. Now, if Mueller were here today, uh, he would likely say that the most important thing he did with God each day was to seek Christ in prayer. In fact, in November of, 19, of 1844, excuse me, Mueller wrote that he started praying for five individuals in particular who were a part of his life, and that he started to pray for them that they would come to know Christ. He prayed for them literally every day for decades despite his unbelievably busy schedule and his many travels around the world. He prayed, and God worked. The first person that he, of the five he was praying for was converted after 18 months. The second came to faith after five more years. It was six more years until the next one came to faith. And then 36 years later, in 1880, the last two, according to Mueller in his writings, had not come to Christ, even with prayer every day. And Mueller died in 1898, but that wasn't the end of the story. Amazingly, the last two of the five became followers of Christ several years after Mueller died. Mueller, in the process, took to heart uh, the call to prayer and Jesus' own call to pray and not give up. And that's because he thought prayer would make a difference. And with five people in his life, at least, it made an eternal difference. Most of us here today come before God wanting things for ourselves and for other people, like Mueller did for his friends. Some of us see our world today and want a better world. Some of us are deeply longing for things for ourselves, our situation, and our family but we don't know how to express it at times. All of us wonder if prayer makes a difference. But here's the thing. Jesus has something to say about that today. Here in Luke chapter 11, where he gets at the very experience and heart of prayer in the Lord's Prayer, and in the process, he answers some important questions for us about how God works with prayer and how prayer works on us. And so our questions today are this, what, what does prayer that makes a difference look like in everyday life, and how can we pray in the Spirit so that things might be different around us, life might be better for us and for others around us, and yes, God may actually get glory in all of that. Now, before we get started this morning, I'm going to ask you guys to do something. I want you to think about one thing you really want from God today. One thing. And what do you want to be different in your life so that if you got that one thing? Got it? Well, let's dive in and see what Jesus taught about prayer that makes a difference about that one thing that you're carrying in your heart right now. And look at what Jesus does right here in the first verses of our text. Verse 1 says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, 
And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now we find the disciples coming to Jesus, asking him to teach them to pray. And they wanted to make a difference in the world because they had just spent all kinds of time up to this point in the book of Luke watching Jesus make an incredible difference of, in countless lives in his time. In fact, if we go backwards one chapter, uh, Luke in all of chapter 10 is talking about how the praying Christ empowers his disciples to actually go out and make a difference. He empowers the 72 to minister in his name, and great things happen. Then he teaches them to make a difference in that well-known passage of love for neighbor in need called the story of the Good Samaritan. And then after that, he talks about somebody really trying to make a difference Mary and Martha in their story. You might recall in that story, Martha was busy with a bunch of people in her home trying to serve them, trying to make a difference with hospitality, but she gets mad at Mary uh, for not doing more to make a difference. And Jesus tells Martha that Mary chose the good portion of listening to him and the gospel. Jesus' point being in chapter 10, the setting for our for our text, that there is something bigger here than just serving the Lord. And that brings us to chapter 11. Prayer and connection with Christ while serving the Lord takes the, the center stage. So, Jesus has been busy for the kingdom in preaching and teaching. He's been helping people. It's been a demanding pace of life for him for three years, yet the disciples find Jesus doing what he does time and again in the midst of his busy life. He's praying. He's pausing in prayer. He's pausing to spend time with the Father, to go into relational intimacy with the Father. He's abiding in prayer with the Father. God the Son seeks God the Father in prayer. And we might imagine God the Holy Spirit is right there in their midst. And in short, we're seeing in this first verse... The Trinity, praying together, just like it is happening right now in the throne room of Christ with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Now, this is instructive for us already. We are a busy people with career, with kids, with family activities. Many of us here walk around feeling guilty about praying because we don't have time to pray. Or... Frankly, some of us would rather be busy than actually engage God in prayer. We want to get things done. Not all bad. But here's the thing. Intimacy with God and quiet with Him, we have to admit, can sometimes be very scary. Jesus, on the other hand, was so busy, He had to pray. So much was coming at Him in people's needs and even the resistance of leaders that he needed to be with the Father. Prayer wasn't scary for him. It was necessary for his sanity. He needed prayer with the Father more than he needed to get things accomplished. And you need to understand that, that he doesn't 
uh, work really hard for God, and then on the side pray. He prays, and then on, following out of that is what comes the work that he actually did. Now, what drew him to this sense of fellowship with the Father? Well, it was one thing. It was the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. All of Jesus' ministry was done as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wanted to be in the presence of God, being led by the Holy Spirit. That's where he, he worked from in his ministry. So that's what we get out of verse 1. God the Father and the Son are clearly connecting in prayer, and the disciples want to learn more about that with one of them saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And I love this sense, Lord, teach us to pray. You've got to appreciate the hum humility of the disciples here, admitting they don't exactly know how to pray, which is instructive to us. So Jesus is pleased to teach them. And in the process... He lays out for us a version of the Lord's Prayer. Now, I got to tell you, we could do an entire series on the Lord's Prayer here, but I just want to cover a few things about the prayer that help us understand how prayer makes a difference and how prayer in the Holy Spirit makes a difference. First, while we call this the Lord's Prayer, it is really, in fact, the disciples' prayer. He's teaching them what to pray to the Father. And he's teaching them in prayers of things like forgiveness, which he himself doesn't have to pray because he was perfect in all his ways. In the process, he lays out five petitions, or we might say in our time and place, five asks of God. And in business world, we talk about how you ask. Well, here, that's what Jesus is doing. He's showing us how you ask of God. Well, the first ask is he says this, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, this first ask is meant to orient us to the holiness of God's character. Hallowed is an allusion to God's holiness and his character, all his attributes and ways, even in Christ. Hallowed be your name means God in his greatness and holiness should be honored above all others, even ourselves. Now, this gets into really what South Charlotte's Prez's vision is about, uh, in that we make disciples by honor, love, and impact. And there's that honor as the first one, and the idea being that in, in a place with all kinds of worldviews and attempts at glorifying men, we honor Christ above all others in our lives and in everything we do. In other words, Jesus is first and he's supposed to be first in everything. That's what hallowed be thy name really gets at. Now, the next petition or ask that Jesus addresses is about God's kingdom. He says, your kingdom come. Now, this is a request for the rule of God through his word and his gospel and how it affects everyday life even today. When you pray your kingdom come, just be aware you're saying, Jesus I want you to be king in my life and in the life around me in your ways. And not only my life and the life around me, but even the life of the future that lies ahead for us as God's people. Indeed, 
your kingdom come has this future element to it that one day Jesus will come back in the second coming and bring his reign fully and finally over all things in the earth, even the new earth. So in a sense, your kingdom come is a prayer of submission to Jesus as Lord. It's a prayer of reliance on his power and a prayer of reliance on his leadership, even in preparation for the second coming. Now let me stop here and make a little quick point about this. The first two petitions in this version of the Lord's Prayer are directed to God in the vertical. You see that? The very first are going towards God in the vertical. But the last three petitions are around kind of the horizontal issues and needs of life, daily bread, forgiveness, temptation. Daily bread is a metaphor for basic needs on the horizontal. And at this point, we have to say, okay, so this is how the Lord's Prayer lays out in five petitions. But some of you may think, I'm reading this. And I'm thinking what we pray on Sunday mornings, I'm thinking this is a different prayer. How am I to take that in? These seem like different prayers. Are we praying the right prayer on Sunday morning? Well, I would remind you that the book of Matthew, Matthew 6, actually has another version of the Lord's Prayer. And I would tell you that you can bet because Jesus taught this prayer in different places in, in the Gospels, he probably taught it multiple times to his disciples with different petitions emphasized. Now, at this point, you're like, well, this is all fine and good, but what difference does prayer make in the world? How does this prayer impact everyday living? Well, I want you to imagine something. Imagine yourself walking into the throne room of God in heaven. You approach the throne of grace because of Christ. And you're given an opportunity to talk to the king of kings about things on your mind and your heart that you really want. How should you ask? What's the protocol with God? Well, the Lord's Prayer sets the protocol for us. This prayer reorients how we ask of God. It starts with God first and then goes to our needs. Let me be clear. As you approach the throne of grace in prayer, there are many ways to pray, and we see that in the Psalms there are many ways to pray, and there are other parts throughout Scripture that teach us different prayers. Yet what Jesus is trying to do here in this text is teach us that in the busyness of life and even of serving God, we first align our hearts with God in prayer and for His kingdom purposes. Then we address our longings and our needs. Second big thing I'd kind of point out about this is that the Lord's Prayer is an outline, an outline to expand in prayer. Sometimes people say, this feels like a rote prayer. You just go through it and it just feels like empty mantra in some ways. But you've got to understand, it's not meant to be a rote experience, but something to guide us thematically when we want something from the Lord. For example, when you go through the Lord's Prayer and pray, hallowed be thy name, sometimes you can stop and spend time just on that petition, that ask, and think about all the great qualities of our Lord and God and how that affects your daily life. Then you go to the next petition and move to the next one and the next one. And here's a crazy thought. The Lord's Prayer actually in the history of the church 
in some rhythms of walking with God, like praying the hours, is prayed at least three times a day. And some of us may say, well, that just feels so rote. But here's the thing. When you pray it, you can also pray the Lord's Prayer and something will pop for you. You'll go through the petitions and just pay attention to what pops and then come back around to that and spend time on that in the process. Praying this prayer even more times doesn't make it less meaningful. And here's why. If you're praying in the Spirit, if you're praying with the throne room, uh, in the throne room of God and in the presence of God, it's meant to stir you, to stir you up spiritually. Let me give you an example. How many of you here, when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you go, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you go, oh my, that's, I like to be forgiven, even though some of us here don't like admitting we're wrong. I've never struggled with that. But when you're saying, as we forgive our debtors, that we actually go out and practice what we've experienced from Christ, then you go, oh my, that's too big for me. I need the Holy Spirit inside me in order to actually start moving forward and living in this life, both receiving the gift of God's forgiveness and giving it away. It's the Holy Spirit in you that helps you to take this in and not just make it a rote mantra. So, Jesus prays for the kingdom and calls us to be live this stirred life of prayer, but Jesus isn't done teaching. He tells us a parable to show us what, what praying this way does to us experientially. Oh, I love this parable. This is so good. Look at verse 5 with me. He said to them, which of you has a f- who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. (laughs) Jesus tells a story about a man who's pretty desperate for food and who ends up banging on a neighbor's door in the middle of the night to get what he needs. And there are all kinds of cultural things going on in this text that we need to unpack a little because we read this and go, this doesn't connect to the way we live. I mean, we need to clarify that in an affluent society like us, even if it's the middle of the night, we'll get in our cars and go get something to eat, right? If we're really that hungry. (laughs) So these guys didn't have that. They didn't have uh, Sprouts or Harris Teeter or uh, Publix. They had to make their bread first thing every day and usually only had a few days' worth of food. And then, and this is a really good one, the guy shows up at their house, the visitor shows up at their house at midnight. And you and I are going, what? (laughs) That is rude. Who would do that? But you got to understand this. They didn't have cell phones. I know that's hard to believe at this point for the young people here. They didn't have cell phones to call ahead. They didn't have landlines for the older folks Visitors usually traveled late into the day and into the night because of 95-degree heat 
as they were walking on the roads in the sun. Can you relate? Late and even surprising arrivals were common. Everybody knew what Jesus was talking about because they had experienced this in their lives in some way. It was normal. However, the real reason this host was freaking out in the middle of the night and banging on doors was this. In the ancient Near East, when someone came to your house after long travels, it was on you to provide food, drink, and a place to lay their head. If you did not provide that for your traveling friend, it brought shame on you and on your family because now you're considered inhospitable to the stranger. Now, that's different from us. I love what comedian Sebastian Maniscalco says, today when somebody knocks at our door, we all hide. We all stay away and think, oh, there's a sales guy dropping by the house. I hope he goes away, and it, it goes away quickly. Or we're like, man, I don't know who's knocking at our doors. We don't like that here, even in suburbia that much. The truth is, in this case, Jesus is giving them a picture of the ancient Near Eastern sense that you had to do something about your visiting guest or it would bring shame on you. So the host wakes his neighbor. He goes to the window and asks, and you can imagine this. He walks to the window, and he's kind of tapping on the window and saying, Pete, Pete, wake up. Wake up, Pete. I need your help. I need you to come provide some bread for my friend who just showed up. Pete, who's drowsy at this point, says, come on, man. It's midnight, and the family's asleep. I'm not going to help you. And then the host, who's feeling a little desperate, says, Pete, seriously, you have to help me. This guy's really hungry, and word might get out tomorrow that we're not welcoming people very well at our home. And then Pete says, dude, the kids are sleeping all around us, which is how they slept as a family in the ancient time on the floor. And, and Pete says, if I wake up the kids and the, and the youngest starts crying and freaking out all night, you think that's going to go over well with the mother right now, with the wife? And he said, no way, I'm not going to help you. But finally, after uh, the host is just banging on the door, Pete finally gives up, and the text says he gives him whatever he needs. Pete hands, him, hands over bread, wine, olives, anything. He's like, take it. Just, just go so we can sleep. Now, what is Jesus getting at in this parable about how prayer makes a difference? He's instructing us, and he even says it twice in our text, I tell you. What is, the, what is the first thing he tells us in verse 8? Jesus makes a case for what the ESV translates as impudence. Now, what is impudence? I don't use that word every day. I don't know about Maybe you do, but I don't. What is impudence? Well, the host has an audacious boldness, an audacious boldness for the good of his traveling neighbor. It is this nagging persistence that is the opposite of passivity or timidity. Prayer that makes a difference has an audacity and a boldness to it. 
Let me put it this way, to coin a phrase that we all love to say so much today, it goes big or it goes home. God likes it when we go big with requests. Our problem, typically, is that we ask for tiny or nonspecific things from God. It's okay to pray, God, protect us. Protect from what? It's okay to say, God, provide. Provide what? Be specific. What is it you look for from God? And let me be clear. I'm not saying that this text is teaching us to be demanding with God. You can't demand of the God of the universe. There's still an asking spirit about it, but there's still this go big or go home with audacious boldness that aligns with the Lord's prayer. You're praying according to what the values of the Lord's prayer are. Second, in verse 9, Jesus tells us that the principle of intensity in asking, seeking, and knocking shows up. Why does he say, ask, seek, knock? Well, ask is making a request of God or a person. Seeking is ratcheting it up where you actually get busy. You stand up and start doing something to get what you want. And then finally, knocking is banging at the door and saying, I really need this. Ask, seek, and knock, in other words, are a progression to desperation. And dare I say, they reflect even a fear of shame. And Jesus' point is clear in, in verse 10. Those who dare to ask, seek, and knock will be answered eventually. They will be answered. They won't be left in shame. Still, there's another reason Jesus uses this magnificent parable. Why does he go and ask, seek, and knock? Well, guys, the experience of the host in this particular parable is similar to our experience in prayer in everyday life. Haven't you ever felt like sometimes when you pray, it's met with resistance or even slowness to action from God. Have you ever felt like you're waiting? You've been praying and you're waiting and waiting for an answer to that prayer. God will often use that waiting in our lives. He will use delay and even circumstance to grow us. And here's the deal. The delay in answering moves us past religious routine of prayer to emotionally engaged or passionate prayer if you're really seeking the Lord and His kingdom and in the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, for some of us, we pray a few times and we become uh, indifferent, meaning, well, God's not going to answer, it's not going to happen. But he, you need to understand, the delay is often an attempt to evoke faith in us. It's a call to get serious about pursuing something with the Lord. Remember that thing that you really want from the Lord but aren't getting. Don't give up and despair uh, or give up praying for it. Align yourself with Christ more and more. Get more passionate and learn to pray differently about it. Get beyond give me what I want, Lord, which is often what the health, wealth, prosperity gospel says, 
and start to hunger not only for what you want, but for God's glory in it. That's where waiting, what waiting does, it stirs hunger inside of you. So, you've got to know that that's a part of what the waiting is sometimes, is that you have come to a place where you're going, Lord, there is a real need, and your name is at stake, and my name is at stake. I need you to help me. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit stirs us in that process to hunger for more of what God offers for his glory. Let me say this. This is what's interesting about prayer. If you look at any of the scientific studies on prayer for the last few decades, and believe, me, believe it or not, lots of universities have done studies on prayer, particularly for the sick. Here's what you'll find, that prayer does not make any measurable difference in sick people's lives. It's actually measurable. Some studies show that prayer even makes people more stressed because they expect healings faster. So there you're going, now why should we pray? Well, this gets the, to the delay and the hunger and thirst thing that we go through. You and I think prayer is supposed to change our circumstances and even through things like healings. You and I think that it is merely about that. But even Christianity says that God sometimes says no when it comes to things like healing. Even Christianity says God has a different plan for people. What you need to know this is real prayer, like Jesus was talking about, here does one thing first. It changes us. It changes us. It's where God forms and shifts our desires over time to line up with his. And the Holy Spirit in that process is working in our hearts as we learn to submit to God's will over even our will in time. So, Jesus tells us how to pray with our requests aligned with him. He teaches us to pray with audacity and passion so that our prayers will make a difference, yet at the same time, he's changing us in the praying process and through the Holy Spirit. But he tells us one last thing about prayer in verse 11. Look at that with me in verse 11. It says this, it says, uh, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus brings up a running theme in our text today, fatherhood. He started praying to the Father himself alone in verse 1. He teaches his disciples in the Lord's Prayer with the address of Father. Now he finishes up these verses talking about how a father attends to the needs of a child. Christ, in other words, wants us to redefine how we go to God in our prayer, that we're approaching him like a father, a loving, all-good father 
not a dis distant, disinterested uh, authority figure. Seeing God as a caring father, eager to hear from his children, is a crucial piece here. Coming out of this parable, Jesus asked this absurd question. Would any father, even evil and sinful ones, give their children harmful things like serpents and scorpions when they're hungry for a fish or for an egg? And whenever Scripture asks a question, you need to answer it. And the answer is, of course not. Who would do that? But that begs the question, what are your assumptions about God when you go to prayer? Is he the moral accountant in the sky saying, oh, you have needs, sorry, you've been a bad kid, your performance rating is really down this last year, here's a scorpion. The truth is we don't deserve any good gifts as sinners, but Christ has paved the way for us to receive the opposite of what we deserve in the countless blessings that come from God. And, and we can come to God as a result through the cross, praying this profound prayer, Abba, Father, Dad. Now, i got to tell you something. That's kind of crazy talk. In that century and even now... Because I'll tell you, there's only two people in the world that can call me dad. That's Bethany and Mitchell. If anybody else comes to me and calls me Abba, dad, I'm going to say, what the heck are you talking about? You're, I'm not your dad. But when my son or my daughter come to me and say, dad, I need something, I want to talk, you better believe I lean in and listen. And that is what you get. Whenever you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, a father who's leaning in when you ask, the gentle father, not the distant or sometimes hurtful father that some of us have had, but the gentle, eager-to-connect father who wants to take care of your needs. And here's kind of the cool thing. When you're in the family, when you're a part of Christ and his church, and you're in God's family, you have a big brother who's at the right hand of God the Father. And when you ask something, he's right there praying for you, interceding for you, according to Romans 8, so that we can approach the throne of grace with our asks in a way that makes a difference for the Lord, for us, for people around us, even our world. And you can imagine when we come to the throne of grace, Jesus is like, oh, here they come. They're going to ask. And when we ask, Jesus go, come on, Father. You see what they need. We have got to provide for them. How many of you actually think that God would take that perception towards you? That Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the throne room of God would lean in towards you and say, come on, let's take care of them. They're asking. They're family. That's what God wants for you. Let me put it this way. While there are times we should not spoil our kids, <laughs> the Trinity is sometimes really eager to spoil you, really eager to give you more than you could ask or imagine in spiritual blessings. Sometimes it shows up in material blessings, but I can tell you it's always there with spiritual blessings. 
And you know what? He even wants to bless those who don't know him. You know what one of the things I do with lost friends is? I will ask them, what's one thing I can pray for you? One thing that I can pray for you that only God could provide. And I've had people, my lost friends, say, well, what about this? And I start praying, and it's crazy how many times God actually answers in a substantive way. All to give us all a little hint of what life with him is like. But here's the best part of all. Did you notice how Jesus ended this teaching? In Matthew 6 version of Ask, Seek, and Knock, he talks about how the Father provides good things for his children. But Luke's version talks about how much more God the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Here's the implication. We're supposed to ask for daily bread, Lord's Prayer, right? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The Word of God is the bread of life. And we have to ask for the Holy Spirit as our ultimate bread. You see the string as it goes through our text? Here's another way to say it. When you go to the Lord in prayer, ask for the Holy Spirit first. First. To tame your soul. To align your heart with what God wants in His will according to His Word. To comfort you when you're anxious about asking or about your circumstances, to give guidance about what might be the direction and how you live out the Lord's Prayer. The Holy Spirit is the one who the audacious follower of Christ wants the most. Because I can tell you, in any circumstance, if you've got the Holy Spirit, even unto death, you've got life right inside of The Holy Spirit is praying with you and in you right now, slowly aligning your desires with God's. So back to our original question for the day. Does prayer make a difference? Yeah. Starting with you as the Holy Spirit's moving in you. And yes, in God's good providence, he will answer in all kinds of circumstances according to his will. Let's now go to prayer and seek his face together. And I'm going to end our prayer saying the Lord's Prayer with you. We're going to do that together. So you can see that on the screen if you need help with that. But we're going to take a moment just to go with the Lord in prayer. So let's seek his face. Father, this whole text is so stirring because you are a stirring Lord. Jesus, we want to learn to pray. Uh, we admit that we are not always great at it. We pray your Holy Spirit would be the first person we would want to encounter in our life with you. Fill us, Lord. Fill us so that we want to have a life that is built around connection with you, life in you.
truth with you. Because of that, we pray as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.